success is whatever you define it to be. And, I, and, and for me, it's to lead a significant life where I made the campsite better than I found it. And that's, that's what drives me now. Welcome to another episode of the Wichita Life Podcast. My name is Landon. If you enjoy the show, please consider subscribing and reviewing the podcast on whatever app you use. We really appreciate it. Today's sponsor is Il Primo Espresso Cafe. We love Il Primo Coffee, and I highly recommend their mocha. You can try their coffee at Central and Woodlawn or at the main floor of the Epic Center downtown. Go get your coffee fixed today at Il Primo. Today's guest is Richard Ryerson. Richard is a commercial pilot, Marine veteran, and host of one of the top business podcasts in the U.S., Dose of Leadership, which he started about seven years ago before podcasts were as popular as today. We talk about his leadership experience and why he is passionate about decentralized leadership, and we also talk about his podcast journey. Enjoy this episode with Richard Ryerson. Yep, so I'm here with Richard Ryerson. Um, been wanting to do this podcast for a while, and I'm glad that you actually reached out to me. So I've been meaning to reach out to you, but yeah, finally it, making it happen. It's so. great to meet a fellow podcaster. We could probably geek out and talk about podcasting, and that's it for another hour and a half. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> we I hope we get into a little bit of that, but <laughs> right. just for my sake. Right. But, um, but yeah, because I didn't actually know about your podcast till probably, I think it was about a year ago. I was yeah. having lunch with a friend of mine, Josh, and um, he's like, did you know there's a pretty big-time podcast here in town? I'm like... Well, I don't, not that I know of, because I kind of <laughs> did my research to see what was in town before I started mine, right. um, and I never saw it because it's not Wichita themed. No. But it was cool to see, wow, like Simon Sinek, like some of those guys, and then recently Jocko and some of those guys, yeah. I'm a huge Jocko fan, yeah. so it's been cool to yeah. see where that goes. No, it's 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 exciting, and like I said, I, I, and I'm kind of surprised to learn how many how many podcasters there are here yeah. in Wichita. Yeah, it's been There's surprising. a lot, and so I've been meaning to connect. And I've reached out to a few, and I've known, but yeah, I need, I need to find out more because, I mean, I love, I mean, podcasting has totally transformed my life in such a positive way. Sure. I'm like, such a huge fan of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now it seems like everybody has a podcast, though. And I yeah, it does. Least, <laughs> I was, I'm glad to say that I started when there was only 300, there was 310,000 <laughs> podcasts. Now there's 800,000 or something like that. Right, so exactly. I was glad to be, not quite on the cutting edge, but I was glad it's to get the new in. blog, it's right? the new blog, right? So everybody has a blog, yeah. so... Um, yeah, so we'll definitely get into the podcasting. I kind of want to just walk through your career a little bit. Sure. Um, what got you to this point, um, kind of the background in leadership, and then we can get into some of the other stuff. Yeah, so, um, yeah, starting out, um, you're from Wichita. I am, born and raised here, yeah. Cool. And what high school did you go to? Went to Wichita North. Okay. graduated in 1987, okay. and then I went to Wichita State right after that. Perfect. Go Shocks. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fellow Shocker as well, right. so yeah. I, went, I went to school out in Andover and then went to Wichita yeah. State. So. so, yeah, born and raised here, and then left. I graduated in December '91. So four years in a semester because yep. I changed majors. Half victory lap. <laughs> yeah, half victory lap. That's right. And then I went to um, uh, while I was in at Wichita State, I was a sophomore, I believe, and I was kind of focused on entrepreneurship. Initially, started out in radio and television broadcasting, which was my wow. major. Okay. Which is kind of ironic that now that is funny. Yeah. And I really loved it, and I thought, man, I'm gonna, I'm just, I, and I loved radio. I really did. I'm sure. in the radio class and doing all that stuff. But I changed my major, and I wish I wouldn't have looking back because your major really doesn't all matter. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But, yeah. but I changed it because I read an article that said, "Hey, the top business jobs in nineteen ninety are going to be like computer science." Oh and yeah. I'm like, so I changed it, and I was okay with computer science, but it wasn't my passion. Sure. And 
while I was in there, I was on the rowing team and I met a guy and he had a USMC sweatshirt on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, did you join the Marine Corps, you know, prior to college? Right. He's like, no, no, I'm going in, man. He goes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go be a pilot. And I'm like, what? The Marines have planes? I didn't even know anything <laughs> right, about yeah, it, right? Yeah. I go, what? yeah, you know, I got a guaranteed shot at flight school. If, I'm like, what? That sounds too good to be true. And he goes, no, man. And he told me all the details. And he said the recruiter was going to be at the CAC on the following money. This was a Saturday. We were up in Des Moines. Sure. And I went, and, and sure enough, the recruiter was there. And I talked to him for about an hour. Um, and he said, yeah, you, you pass this test, and you go to officer candidate school, do two six-week increments, and and you'll get a guaranteed – and then finish a six-month basic infantry course, and then yeah. you get a guaranteed shot at flight school. I'm like, really? Wow. And I signed – I took the test that night passed it signed up swore in and went home and told my dad i just joined the marine corps he fell, <laughs> fell out of his chair but it was the best thing i ever did it yeah. was just it was so awesome and so that was my sophomore year went to officer candidate school and graduated in 91 and then i was off off active duty in the marine corps wow and went to flight school and yeah, yeah. and just loved it just was there any it. inkling leading up to that point of either being a pilot or marines or the pilot thing was always there, even when I was a kid. It was yeah. one of those things like, God, I'd love to do that, but I didn't know how. Sure. And when I graduated North, um, I, you know, I just had decent. I didn't have. I thought the only path towards that was either the Air Force Academy or the Naval Academy. Sure. And I was like, well, and I, I went right. in there, so I gave up. And, I, and entrepreneurship was my thing. I, I, I was in DECA and I did really well there and went to an entrepreneurship, got a scholarship to an entrepreneurship camp, the first one that WSU had yeah. before my freshman year at Wichita State that summer. And so I was going down that path. And, yeah. and then I found out ways that, man, maybe you could be a Navy or Marine. I, I didn't know about the Marines, uh, the Navy right. pilot. I, I found out ways and I was starting to get my interest peaked. And then I found out about this Marine Corps thing, and then I was off to the races. That's really cool. And so it was just it was just such a perfect fit for me because flying is one of those things that's in my blood that, I mean, it's just it's integral to It's like putting on a, a pair of comfortable blue, blue jeans or picking yeah. up that baseball glove that's so broken. It's like an extension of your right. hand. That's what flying feels like to me. So. That's awesome. So, And that's what I did. And so I went and I flew for 10 years active duty, was going to stay in the Marine Corps, but then in 2001, the airlines were hiring like crazy. Mm-hmm. And all my peers, all my buddies that were ahead of me were like, oh my God, come on in, the water's fine, the right. pay is ridiculous, you're gonna retire oh, yeah. a multimillionaire, you hardly ever work. And I'm like, sign me up, and I got, yeah. and I got hired. And it was, like a, it was like winning the lottery ticket, that's what it felt For like. For sure. And I, I started with American in June of 2001. Mm-hmm and did my training all through that summer and finished my last check ride on September 8th. And I was home. I was based in Dallas, living here in Wichita. Moved yeah. back to Wichita uh, after I got out of the Marine Corps and got hired by American. We moved back here with the intent of moving, staying here a year uh-huh. and then moving to Dallas. That sure. was my intent. And September 11th was my first official day, my first assignment Wow! after training. I can't even imagine yeah, and I landed in Dallas that morning at 8 o'clock in the morning right when everything right was when happening. Everything, yeah. As a passenger, I was commuting sure. to work. And I flew six times in September, and then and then I was laid off. Wow. And I was thrust in the corporate arena here. Fortunate that my dad was friends with Bob Hayes, who started the Hayes Company. I don't know okay. if you've ever heard of them. I have not, no. But the Hayes is uh, he's kind of a prominent entrepreneur here in Wichita. And Steve Hayes is a, a big... Uh, 
one of the second oldest brother, or the oldest brother, who is pretty big in the entrepreneurship supporting okay, yeah. here. I'll have to look him up. But he, he helped me get a job as a shipping supervisor there at the Hayes Company, mm-hmm. and my dad worked there, and I, they gave me a job, and that's and so I started working as a shipping supervisor, and that's kind of when it hit me, and I took it, how much the Marine Corps taught me about life and leadership, and that's really st- what started the or the, be- the beginning of wait a second, you know I learned a lot more. I went from a mindset of like man, all I know how to do is fly airplanes. What am I going to do? Yeah. Because that's all I've been doing for 10 years. And I came to realize that, you know, the Marine Corps and flying planes, multi-crew plane, because you know, I flew C-130s in the Marine Corps, that it taught me a lot about life and leadership. And that really began the process as I was working in the corporate arena. I just assumed that if you were a multi-million dollar organization, you you had the basics of leadership down. Right. And I found out that wasn't the case. Yeah. Whereas the Marine Corps, I came from, it was a totally a culture of leadership, and everything was was about pushing the leadership down to the lowest level, and sure. leaders eat last, and oh, all yeah. this stuff that we learned as officers, and and I just assumed that's what the way the world was, you know. Yeah. And it and it wasn't naively. I I don't know why I thought that, but that's what really started the process of of starting what's lead me, leading me sitting here with you today. Sure. And starting the podcast and. Teaching, right. coaching, leadership. Yeah. So that's kind of early two thousand, early to mid two thousands. Um, was there? A, I mean, nowadays we have like, I mean, like Jocko's Extreme Ownership mm-hmm. books and Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last and mm-hmm. those kind of books. Start with why. Was there a lot of that type of stuff no, out then? There wasn't. There was a lot of leadership books. It's it's funny that you asked that because I was just I was literally just thinking that the other day, because leadership is such a broad topic and I mean there's so many stinking leadership books out there. Right. You go to the leadership section, I mean, and you look, I mean, I know this because that's how I got so many great guests early on when starting the show. Yeah. Because there's so many books out there on leadership. And what's funny is, and I'm not knocking people who write books because I'm I'm writing one too. And, yeah. and but what I've come to realize is that there's no there's nothing really new under the sun. Right. It's just how do you interpret it and what, you know, to me, leadership principles are, they just exist. Nobody right. invented them. It's like the gravity. Marine, that's right. It's like gravity. Like the Marine Corps didn't invent them. You know, some corporation out here didn't invent them. They just exist and they're sure. there for our taking. And But what hit me, though, there was a book out there and what, what made me start to see the light. And there's there's some great leadership books out there, you, you know, but there if you look at the 80s and in the 90s and the 2000s, there was always this kind of, they were still combining leadership and management, you know, yeah, yeah. and in Warren Bennis's What is Leadership was a great book that I read when I was at Wichita State. And, and it's, again, it's a good one. But no, there wasn't this kind of what you see that's coming out of like what, you know, Jocko talks about. And yeah. Of course, we didn't have uh, an extended prolonged war where you had a lot of people right. kind of using decentralized command right. ad nauseum. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of that now. And you get someone like a Jocko who's done it for real in the most extreme circumstances. Yeah. And, and, but the message is still the same. Whether sure. you, you know, look, the key is not this command and control type mentality. The secret sauce is a decentralized. And, and that's what I've been, that's been my passion since I, in 2001 when I started working in the corporate arena. The mm-hmm. thing that always banged my head up against the wall 
and I saw it in family businesses, and I saw it in the, in the big corporations that I've worked in here in town. And it's all, in particular, in the big corporations where it feels like the higher you get up the chain, the more important people feel. Yeah. And then they get in these, you know, we think even as workers that, oh, well, I'm going to wait for the brilliant strategic decisions coming from the corner office in the ivory tower before I do anything. And that, sure. that drives me insane. Yeah. And the real leadership in any organization and any successful organization through, through the millennia has come from the middle and below, right. whether it's combat or even these, these large sustainable organizations who are knocking out of the park and still with us. At some point they understand that it's about the middle and below of getting things done. Yeah. Right? So for sure. I don't know if that answered your question. No, I kind of yeah, went off on a tangent there, but no, that's good. Um, I guess a, a word you mentioned, and maybe I think it's kind of self-explanatory, but the decentralized um, leadership. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit more about that and kind of how you define that and um, just a little bit more on that? Yeah, and it goes back to, to, again, my experience in the Marine Corps. And again, and I flew planes. I wasn't in the, you know, I wasn't a, a major support role in the Marine Corps. I wasn't kicking down doors and yeah. taking bad guys' names out of the, you know. Yeah. I, but I was... But no matter where you were in the Marine Corps, there was always this concept that was ingrained in you early on that the real engine of this organization is always the middle and below, meaning there's a delineation, right? You've got the enlisted corps and the, and the officer corps, yeah. right? And the most junior level leadership position for the officer side is a second lieutenant. So here you've got this brand new second lieutenant that's gone through six months of basic infantry training and then an, an additional three months of advanced infantry training. So he's got nine months of experience. He's got a bachelor's degree, you know, probably was the captain of some of the rugby team or right. something else out and was in high school was probably the same thing, captain of the football team or whatever. Right, right. And that's all the experience that this, you know, chucklehead has. <laughs> and he walks into a room of guys and gals uh, who've been in Iraq and Afghanistan two or three times. Right. And he is charged to be accountable for this group. Right. And you look at that on the surface, and you're thinking, that doesn't make any sense. And what is the biggest kiss of death, and you learn early on as a brand-new second lieutenant, is that you can't – you're going to get – and I'm holding my fingers about an inch apart, and my, <laughs> my thumb and my, my index finger – that you're only going to get about that much time – well, they'll respect you, your rank. They're going to give you your positional authority yeah. and, and respect it. But if you try to ride that for any length of time, it, it will never last. Yeah. And so how does that brand-new lieutenant that's got nine months of training gain the respect right. and trust of this experienced, salty core, mm -hmm. right? Well, you've got that platoon sergeant who is the senior enlisted of that platoon, mm -hmm. and that senior enlisted guy takes if it works well takes that lieutenant and the two of them become this you have this unique partnership yeah where basically the, the platoon sergeant says look sir you take care of me and my guys and i'll take care of you and he molds and he shapes and he almost kind of mentors this young officer and how to be a great officer does yeah. that make sense yeah yeah and so the real engine of the organization is that platoon sergeant and, and below and when you equate that into the corporate arena, we totally get it backwards. We think it's the person with the MBA, that senior level leadership, and not to take anything away from them. They have right. their role. They have their place. 
but that's where we miss the mark and that we think the higher it gets up that the more it's almost like the command the old command and control do as i say i'm the captain here right just shut yeah, up yeah. and you're a cog in the wheel in this big machine right you know it's the old scientific management theory from the early 1900s where frederick winslow taylor was like look these people weren't smart enough to go get a, a degree and educated they're the cogs in the machine their job is to do what we say we want to do. Mm-hmm. We tell them to do. It's our job to be separate from this phlegmatic source of sure. <laughs> individuals. Yeah. And we sit in our ivory tower and we come up with, with the right way to get things done, the most efficient way, and then we tell them and then they do it. And I hate that mindset. Yeah. It's been debunked since the 50s, but yet I can name, I can go to any organization in any city in this town and you're going to see elements of that mindset sure. still permeating. Yeah. To the point now that even the workers think, even when you go in there, like, well, who am I to say? And I ask people, who in here looks like a leader? Who? Well, it's not me. I don't have the position. I don't have the title. So to go back to your going full circles, like, what does the decentralized command means? Well, and and you can see that kind of mindset where is the decision making process, particularly in the corporate arena, is like it's got to go down this hierarchical chain. So the people, let's take a hotel, for example. Sure. And I've seen this in, in good hotels and bad hotels. And the good hotels who have the decentralized kind of mindset, you've got that front desk clerk, that first person, that first contact with the, with the customer, with mm-hmm. the brand, right, is that yeah. hotel clerk. Things aren't going well. There's a mess up. There's a foul up, whatever the case may be. And the ones that get it, that hotel clerk has an empowerment to do whatever it takes to comp a room, right. to give a free night, to give a voucher, to do whatever it takes to maintain the loyalty of that brand, right? Yeah. Because they have the contact with that customer in the, in the Marine Corps parlance. They have eyes on the enemy, eyes on yeah. the situation. It's a really good analogy, yeah. And they, and like in combat where situations, it's, it's chaotic, right? It's asymmetric. It's unpredictable. Mm-hmm. It's unforgettable. And so the only way you're going to succeed in a chaotic environment is if you push the decision-making authority down to that lowest level, to those young 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah. They are empowered to make decisions without asking for permission. Yeah. Now, so equate that that frontline Marine is the same as that frontline desk clerk at, the, at a major hotel, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the only way that it's going to work is if the senior leadership, and this is where their role is, if the senior leadership, what is their role then? Well, to make sure it is as least chaotic as possible, they have to be maniacally focused, and I use that word maniacally, I don't use it lightly, maniacally focused on communicating what we're trying to accomplish and why. Sure. And so the analogy with the Marine Corps is, okay, I want you to go take Hill XYZ, the old command and control mindset says, and I've made it easy for you, right? Here's a here's a binder. I've done all the hard work because I'm the educated one. I went yeah. to you know I went to the Naval Academy. I did strategic thinking. I went to command and staff war college. I made this nice plan for you. I got the big picture. I got the war map behind me. The I got the big picture. Mm-hmm. You you don't need to worry about all that. All I need you to do is take Hill X Y Z. Yeah. Here's a binder that's got the plan. It's step by step. All you got to do is follow the checklist. Mm-hmm. And you're like, aye, sir. And it and what have I done? Have I put I put you in a box? Yeah. And so now you get to step thirty-seven of this of the five hundred step plan, and it's wrong. Yeah. Thirty-seven says take 
cross this bridge at 11 p.m. Well, there's no more bridge there. Right. And now what? You're stuck. Now you got to call me back. Hey, sir, step 37 is no longer valid. Right. What do you want me to do? Okay, let me, I'll get back to you. So I reworked the plan, right? Yeah. And you can see how that produces stagnation, mediocrity, and people Absolutely, yeah. The decentralized concept would be, hey, come here. I'm going to bring you into the fold here. Mm -hmm. This is what we're trying to do. I need you to take Hill XYZ by midnight, but here's why. Yeah. Because Hill ABC, we got Sam over here. He's my focus of effort. He's trying to stop the zombie apocalypse, and he's the guy that's going to stop it. Mm-hmm. I can't have him worry about his left flank, so this is where you come in. I need you on Hill XYZ to protect his left flank because if he doesn't stop the zombie apocalypse, the whole world's going to collapse. Right. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to take, come up with a plan and tell me how you're going to get to Hill XYZ by midnight. Here's the resources. Here's the sandbox to play in. Here, you've got these guys to support you. I think crossing this bridge would be good, and this is my intel. But take all this, come back to me in 12 hours and tell me how you're going to get to Hill, Hill XYZ. And, right? Now, what right. have I done? I've showed you the intent. Yeah. Right? I've showed you the big picture. I've told you about the zombie apocalypse. I've told you about Sam on Hill ABC. I've told you about where you fit in and why it's important and why I picked you. And here's all your resources and tools that you can use. Now, go away tell me how you're going to do it. Yeah. And I've given you accountability. I've given you ownership and I've got you excited. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. That's right? really cool. So that's the, that's what I mean. The difference between decentralized and kind of command and control. Sure. And the decentralized is the only way to go. That's the Absolutely. only way you can succeed in a chaotic environment. Now, equate that to the hotel scenario we were talking about. Right. Yeah. It's, and you've seen this. I know that you've gone to a hotel and had a, a really crappy experience with that, you know, right. And they, they, they were only live, they could only do this. Right. Well, all I can do is give you this gift card to Applebee's across the street <laughs> right. for your meal. What? I need a room, right? Yeah. I, I don't have any rooms. Right. Right. And if you had the, and cause they, they have limited scope on what they can do. Right. Their sandbox is small. Right. You go to the great hotels, they got a big sandbox to play in. Yeah. And they probably, what they got from the senior leadership was, I don't care what it takes, but keep this customer satisfied. I'm right. simplifying. Yeah. But oh, it's got to be, yeah. do whatever sense, it takes to make them love this brand and take care of them. You are allowed to go up to, I don't care, you know, and you can take yeah. limits, but make it big, right? Yeah. Comp them a room. Send them to another hotel and, and on your our dime, you know, whatever the case may be. And that's, to me, it's so simple, but we miss it, right? Because we feel like from, yeah. as leaders that we got to be the ones with the big ideas. we got to be in yeah. control and everything down. But decentralized opens things up. It causes a lot of freedom, and it scares people, right? Yeah. Because they feel like, well, what if, what if Sally Sue on the front desk makes the wrong decision? Right. Well, that's why you got to be maniacal about communicating the intent. You got to be yeah. clear about this is the sandbox I want you can play in. And the bigger the sandbox, the better. But make sure the expectation is you get to the edge of the sandbox, that's when you call me. Yeah. In the meantime, don't bother me if you're inside playing with the sandbox, unless you need more sand, yeah, yeah. more tools to make sandcastles, or you're about to fall off the ed- edge of the box. Other than that, you're on your own. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm just 
in the back of my head, I'm just thinking how it applies to my job. I'm currently an engineer. I work up at Coke. And yeah. so it's just interesting hearing how this applies. And I think Coke is, I mean, I haven't worked anywhere else in my professional life, really. I worked at um, some of the aircraft companies through college a little bit. But um, I think some, where I worked was probably a very poor example of this. But I think Coke does a decent job of the decentralized, yeah. um, at least my group does, because my supervisor, he, they do give us a lot of empowerment. And it's just interesting to hear it worded like this and hear the hotel scenario and then the kind of the war scenario and see how yeah. it all applies to my corporate experience. Yeah, and Coke's a great example because in Coke, inherently in their culture, has that decentralization built in. When, yeah. you, when you look at how even each almost kind of, I don't know what the Coke calls it, but business unit yeah. is its own profit center. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. So automatically you've built in a, yeah, decentral, a, a, a decentralized yeah. overarching culture. Yeah. Because as big as Coke is, which is, I mean, it's huge. Massive, yeah. I don't, how many employees they got? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. 130,000 yeah. or something? I mean, how do, you, how do you maintain that? Right. The only way to maintain it is if you right. push you, the... It de- can't be centralized. It, it cannot be centralized because it would breed stagnation. Already, with the 150,000, just in... Just by osmosis, you inherently you've you've inherited a level of bureaucracy right. that you know a, a thousand employee company can't even fathom. Yeah, just from payroll and human resources yeah. side of it. Right. So the more that you can decentralize and, and push the leadership responsibility, the decision making authority to the absolute lowest level, that is the only effective way to deal with chaos. And, yeah. and that's why I like using the Marine Corps or the combat examples sure. because that's the ultimate in chaos. And yeah. that's the only way that, that battles are won. Yeah. They're not won through command and control. And that's the myth everybody thinks that, oh, well, as you get lower in the ranks, you're a mind-numb robot and you just do what you say. Right. Maybe in Napoleon's day yeah. and maybe even in World War I, but as we've – World War II and beyond, it's, it's definitely – you know, you look at some of the significant battles that have won. They were all won based on decentralized c- command. You know, decentralized command or right. intent. It's about commander's intent. Yeah. And that's going back. The senior leaders. There's two parts of the equation for this to work. The middle and below have to have the courage, and the willingness to be courageous and to make decisions without asking for permission. Yeah. And the senior leaders need to be maniacal about communicating what they want to accomplish and why. The roadblocks where it happens is that, that I see most common is that the middle and below, which is where the real you would think it's the senior leaders and there yeah. are challenges there, but the middle and below aren't used to doing that. They're afraid to make decisions and they're afraid to ask why. And they need to be almost like that annoying toddler saying, Daddy, yeah. why is the sky blue? Right, Daddy, right. why is the sky blue? Why, why can't I do this? Why can't you know? And hopefully you're not going to get because I said so, damn it, which <laughs> I know I've said to my kids a couple <laughs> right. times. And that's what the, that's the challenge for the senior leaders, right? Yeah. They can't be saying because I said so, damn it. They need to take the time to go. This is why we're doing it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, yeah, you can just I mean, you can just hear in your voice like the experience and like how you've applied it from yeah. the Marines ex- examples to corporate. Um, so you took, I mean, kind of all this experience, ten years in the Marines, however many years in corporate, sixteen, um, yeah, sixteen years, mm-hmm. um, and you kind of roll it all up in. A podcast, and so I kind of want to start at the beginning of that. Originally, it started as a radio show. Is that correct? No, it started as a podcast, yeah, okay. and then locally here, probably my second or third year, uh, a radio station. And I forget the call letters, what it was, um, but it was the only locally ro- owned radio station. Belinda Atterbury was she listened to the show, and she 
called me and said, hey, would you mind putting on Saturday mm-hmm. your show? Uh, Light FM, 97.9 Light FM, okay. I think that's what it was. Yeah. And um, I said, sure. And so that was kind of cool because I got to interview some local folks and uh, the late Dr. Bardo. He was fairly yeah. new at Wichita State at the yeah. time. And Marshall was on this meteoric, they went to the final four the year before, or get, yeah, getting ready to go to the final yeah, four. That was, that, was, that was my heart of my college experience. Yeah. So. And so I interviewed Greg Marshall wow. and it was really kind of cool. And, and, and then the radio station went under, they had to close yeah. and then that it stopped there, but there was always a podcast. Okay, I launched, cool. I launched the podcast seven years ago. Okay. That's and, incredible. Yeah. Seven years. That's yeah. You think of what podcasts had been around seven years. There's not a whole lot. Like, I mean, like you said at the beginning, like, few hundred thousand whatever but there's not a lot no and even now with that eight hundred thousand there's only about a hundred and don't quote me on the number but i think 170 to one hundred ninety thousand that are releasing one episode a week really or who have have released an episode in the last 15 days i think something like that well to your point about everybody has a podcast nowadays i think a lot of people make one to five maybe ten and then it's either too much work or life happens, which yeah. is fine. But I think that does. I've seen that a ton. It's, so. uh, I have too. I've known a lot of people that started them, and yeah. they're like, oh, "This is too much." Because there's a lot involved. I mean, you, as you know, there's oh, yeah. a lot behind the scenes to even just get one episode. Yeah, I don't think people realize how much work actually goes into it. And I do pretty minimal editing, and it's yeah, still me a too. decent amount of work. <laughs> yeah, so. I know. I um, know. So w- what initially started? How did it start? And did you have the dose of leadership name right off the bat? <laughs> it's a f- kind of a funny story because. So here I was, uh, 2007, 2008, uh, almost, almost led to got divorced, and that was a whole. That's a whole another podcast episode we can <laughs> talk about. But it's tied to what we're doing because I, I, I had to reevaluate who I was. I was doing pretty good in the corporate arena, mm-hmm. but not so good on the home front. Sure, and I made a lot of stupid decisions that you know, almost led to a divorce. We're still married. Thank God. 12 years later, we're still together. And, but it was that kind of splat moment. And I'd started prior to that, I started toying around speaking, teaching, coaching leadership. Okay. 2005, 2006, 2007. Yeah. Got paid handsomely to go speak about leadership. I thought, man, I could make a lot of money doing this. That's cool. And that's kind of early days of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, man, okay, no podcast. I said, and then, Almost got divorced, regrouped, didn't do anything on that front. Yeah. Around 2009, 2010, I, st- I started speaking again and doing this like keynotes yeah. and talking about leadership and this and that. Built a website, sp- learned how to do it myself. I was really proud of it. Yeah. Learned WordPress. Kind of naively thought, you build it, they will come. And I launched this website and I'm getting like three visitors a day, something totally deflating, right? Yeah. Just totally deflating. And I kind of just trudge along for a little while and getting a speaking engagement here or there, getting paid 500 bucks to speak yeah. or do it for free. And on December, 2012, it was December 17th. And I remember sitting there one day, I was like, and I'm just racking my brain. Like, what do I, how do I get, I got so much, I know what I, what well, got to say is good. I know right. there's how do how do I get noticed yeah. in this noisy world, you know? And I was sitting there, I looked at my bookshelf, and literally started looking at my book. And I read a lot. I'm a yeah. race, I read all the time. 
and I'm looking at my bookshelf and books on my nightstand. I'm like, what if I just started having conversations with all these people on my bookshelf about leadership? Yeah. And then I says, and then I went up and I got up. This is the morning of that. It was December 17th. And I got up and I got on my computer and I Googled leadership books for 2013. And there's like 50 coming out right. in the first quarter. And I'm like, I bet you if I emailed all these guys and gals that yeah. they'd want to talk about it. And so that's what I did. And I emailed for the rest of the afternoon. I searched, tried to find contact info, filled out contact yeah. forms, and started emailing these people. And now I didn't know, I knew on the periphery what a podcast was, right. but didn't really know how it happened and how you did it. What sure. it, I didn't know anything about it. But I said, I'll just launch, I'll do a podcast, you know? Yeah. And you talk about the name of it. Now, so this goes to the point about, like, I didn't do any market research. This is literally, this is two hours <laughs> after my epiphany, after yeah. coming through. And I'm writing my first email to the first author of the book. Mm-hmm. And I said, hi. I would like to interview you for my brand new show. And I literally thought, what do I call <laughs> on it? On the spot. <laughs> on the spot. Dose of leadership. That's I how I came with the name. Those are the best ones sometimes. <laughs> Lightning said, strikes. Right. And I said, I'd love, and it'd be a 30 to 45 minute conversation yeah. where we could celebrate you, talk about your philosophies and promote your book, whatever. Yeah. I'm launching the show on, and I looked at my calendar, <laughs> and I said four weeks from the following Monday. Yeah. It's January 22nd, 2013. I said, I said I launched it. A little bit about me. Husband, father, four daughters, yeah, primary yeah. officer, blah, 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 blah. Let me know if you're interested. I did that all day. Yeah. 75 plus did that. And a lot of responses? By 6 p.m., I had three responses. Okay. Jim Kuzes, one of them is Gene Kranz, the old flight director of mm-hmm. NASA. And the Getting Things Done guy, I forget his name. Uh, he's got a book called Getting Things Done, really popular book. I forgot oh, the name uh, of it. Yeah, uh, I know you're talking about. I, I read that one. Yeah. His name's escaping me right now. But it, those three right. people said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And the point is, that was the best thing that happened to me that I put that date in there. Yeah. And that they responded and said, yeah, count me in. Now I was like, Better get it done. Oh, crap, i got to figure this out. <laughs> I contacted, I started looking around. I'd been listening to the guy, this uh, Andrew Warner, got a show called Mixergy. Okay. And then John Lee Dumas, uh, Entrepreneur on Fire, was three months old I, at the I, time. Okay, yeah. I listened And he was a former Army officer. So I emailed both those guys. And they literally both, I mean, within minutes of me emailing, hey, can you get on a phone call real quick? And those guys each spent an hour to an hour and a half with me wow. talking about podcasting. That's really cool. And I was like, okay. I didn't know what a lead magnet was. I didn't know what yeah. a landing page was. I didn't know any of this stuff. And anyway, after talking to them, I ordered the equipment on December 27th. I spent about 1000 1100 bucks, way too much money. Yeah. I mean, you can go a lot less, right? But yeah. I, I bought a mixer, a nice mic. Sure. Um, and anyway, I got the equipment on uh, December 30th, all the equipment from B&H Radio in New York. Mm-hmm. And then I did my first interview on January 6th, and then I launched the show on January 22nd, like I said I would, That's cool. with six interviews under my belt, and I've never wow. looked back. And, and I say this, I don't say, oh, look how great I am or this or that, but my point is I never would have thought I would have done something like that. I wouldn't right. have, prior to that, I would have done so much planning, 
I just pulled the trigger, and John Lee Dumas was the one that actually told me, he said, sometimes good enough is just good enough. I think so. Just get it out there. Yeah, perfection is the enemy of progress, right? Yeah. So I think, so the way I started my podcast was, um, I mean, I listen to a ton of podcasts at work. I work a desk job, and I'm an engineer mm-hmm. and support engineer, so I get phone calls occasionally, but I mostly listen to music or podcasts. So I'm like, I could do that. Like, it'd be fun yeah. to talk to people. I listen to a lot of, like, Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, yeah. so interview style. Um, and so one day my brother, he just kept on playing football. He was the quarterback for Missouri state. And so I was like, let's just sit down and talk. I'll put the phone on the table and record it. And so that was the first one. I'm like, if I don't start now, I'm not going to do it. So I just started it. And then every couple of weeks, and then it would be two months between podcasts occasionally, but just keep, keep rolling. So, but that's really cool. Um, have you considered doing it full time? Is that an option or? Yeah, I have, I I did consider it and it's weird. I mean, I, I, the, the podcast has, again, transformed me in so many positive ways, but I wouldn't say that I'm the poster child of, you know, the, the model like John Lee Dumas and, and um, Pat Flynn yeah. and a lot of those guys who I try to do, but I just was never that good at it or I didn't, it, I'd lose my interest in it. You know, I built yeah. up an email list. I have done that. I kind of let it slide. I'd go, I'd go like, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah, it's hard. It's waves, yeah. And I'd, I'd launch a co- I launched a course. I made a nice chunk of change doing that. Couldn't replicate it. Right. Burned my email list. Hey, why are you, you know, you're getting all spammy, you know, and all this. So yeah, I've yeah. gone this up and down. And so I've learned a lot along the way. But where I got the most benefit, and people ask me all the time, was like, well, how do you, how do you make money doing that? I said, well, I'll tell you how I make money doing that. I said, this is my free offering, right? I love doing the podcast. Right. I've built, I did a lot of work in the beginning. In the, in the very beginning, I would launch um, eight episodes a month, and that was a lot of work. That is a lot of work. And I was working at Bombardier and doing this. I mean, I don't even, looking back, I don't know how I did it, but I did it. Mm-hmm. And I built up a momentum, and I got some big names like Steve Forbes early on. Yeah. And I got some momentum, and they shared it. And I, I was a new and noteworthy and I was just getting a ton of downloads, and I build up momentum. And so, how I pays for it, how I make money, is somebody eventually finds me on the podcast, asks me to come speak, asks right. me to coach, asks me to do something. Yeah. I establish a relationship. And by the way, the guests that I have on, if I'm selective, if they're CEO of an organization, they become my friends. I sure. establish relationships. Yeah. And so, where the how the podcast is paid from for me yeah. is the, the network that I've created is beyond anything that I've ever thought possible. Right. I mean, the fact that I have all these names, yeah. I have Steve Forbes cell number right. in my phone. Now I'm, I cannot call up Steve Forbes and say, Hey, I'm in town. Right. <laughs> Let's go get a drink. And I would never do that. Right. But the fact that I'm, he gave that to me yeah. and say, if you ever want to have me on again, Here's my number. Here's yeah, my assistant. That's really cool. What does that lead to? I don't know, but that's, that's, that's a, too. Yeah. I wouldn't have had that if I hadn't had a podcast. Is right. my point. Yeah. And so I have 400 of these conversations and growing in these relationships. Yeah. That that has has afforded me opportunities that never would have been possible if I hadn't podcasted. Does it make sense? There's 100%, been nothing yeah. faster. I've built a network that would have taken me decades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. if I hadn't had a podcast, if uh, ever. Yeah, and I mean, mine's a much smaller scale of that. You have 
three, four hundred episodes. I've got twenty five episodes, but mm-hmm. I mean, I could already, I could stop now, and I would be very happy with the network I built just from yeah. with uh, Stephen Werner or Jason Taves and a lot of those guys in town. Yeah. Like some people I knew, but a lot of these people I didn't know at all. And so absolutely, it's it's cool because Wichita is big enough. There's some pretty big names like yourself and some of those guys, but it's small enough. Anytime I've asked, it's always been, yeah, when when are you available? That's right. And so it's really cool to, I mean, again, build that network, and, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, and that's what surprised me, too, is that these people are way more accessible than than they think. Absolutely. People say, well, how did you get Steve Forbes on the show? And I'm not being flippant when I say this. I just asked him. Right. I sent him literally an email to sforbes at Forbes.com <laughs> and said, would you like to be on my show? And the right. next day he replied, yes. That's incredible, yeah. And it, so it's, yeah. it's built up this confidence in me that I like all these people are attainable. They're no different than you and I, except maybe for the, the number in their bank account. Yeah. Other than that, sure, they're human beings just like that that had the same limiting beliefs, the same fears, the same yeah. head trash that you and I are dealing with on a daily basis. And that has been a gift for me. Yeah. And that's where I see the power of the podcast. I, I heard in the Jocko episode, you guys mentioned a little bit about kind of the imposter syndrome and mm-hmm. that. and. I think, I mean, again, I think it is comforting to know that somebody as successful as you guys or some of those other big names go through the same thing. It's very comforting. It, it was liberating for me, and it was Steve Forbes. And I actually, the first time I had him on the show, it wasn't, in, it wasn't on the conversation. It was after we were done and we were talking, and we were talking about fear. I don't know why we didn't talk about because we were talking about his book, and I was yeah. nude. I, had a, I was still kind of in the AP reporter mode sure. in, my, right. in my podcasting interview style. And we actually had a better conversation off record, you know, right. when the recorder was off and we started talking about fear and he, this, that. I said, when, how did you overcome it? And he laughed at me. I never forget. He laughed. And he's like, he goes, Richard, he goes, I was in the shower this morning and I'm working on this deal. And I'm like, who am I to, these people are going to see right through me. Right. I'm such an idiot. I'm like, What? Yeah, that's, that's and so it's when crazy I heard hear. that, I was like, okay, we're all screwed up, you know. So oh, yeah. that, that, that's what I learned from that. Um, what since the podcast? So you've gone for seven years. Again, one of the longer running podcasts that I've heard of. Um, what's been the biggest change over time, or either, I mean, in the podcast landscape, or what you've learned, or what what do you wish you knew when you started that you know now? Well, one lesson I learned early on. And I'm trying to get better at it. I mean, I, it's still difficult to me to for, list, for me to listen to my shows. Yeah. Because I, I tend to talk. I have long pauses. It's almost like my brain. It's like I have ADHD or something in my brain, you know, and I can't get my. And so thank God for editing because oh, I can yeah. take a lot of those pauses out and it <laughs> yep. sounds like I'm pretty tight when I'm talking. You know? But, but it, I, what I learned early on is that what people really gravitate towards and what they knew is just is is the authentic conversation. Right. right? And that's where I just, I just, it gives me such a thrill, and I just love it when I get a guest on the show, and for whatever reason, we just start, we just get lost in this conversation about talking about things we're passionate about, and mm-hmm. and I wish I would have known that early on. Probably about the, it took me about thirty episodes to really start to get it. it. Took me about the first seven or eight, I realized I'm listening to the show, and I'm like, and I don't remember him or her saying that it's because I was oh, yeah. thinking about the oh, next question. Right. And so early on I started forcing myself to just, you know, screw these questions. Yeah. 
And let's just, and that's what I love about podcasting because you can't see what I'm doing, how I'm yeah. holding my head and trying to like bury myself in this, in my headset of, of this person's voice. Yeah. And I'm getting to the point now I can visualize their facial expressions. I can hear their facial expressions, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I just love doing that. And I love some of the nuggets you get when you, when you're, when you're vibing on a great conversation. There's nothing more intimate than an audio conversation. I really, yeah. I think video is overrated it's it's not as authentic. It can never be as authentic as a as a conversation. Right. You know, that's how yeah. I feel about it. Yeah, and I think that's a a reason why podcasts have gotten so big is because somebody listening to this right now could feel like they're in the room yeah. having the conversation with us. And mm. plus, they could be mowing the yard, or they yeah. can be at the gym. You know, yeah. and you can't do that with video. Or right. You shouldn't be anyway when you're driving. Right. You know. <laughs> But uh, but I think to go back to your question, what is cha- I wish that's a lesson I learned. I wish I would have done earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but what's different in the landscape? Just the, the sheer volume and yeah. the big names that are doing podcasting. Yeah. And back then, you know, I was <laughs> my kids make fun of me because I'm sitting there, I'm watching <laughs> Dr. Phil's on or whatever, and he's launching into this podcast and what's a podcast let me tell you and here's how you do this right. like, you don't need a podcast that it's almost <laughs> right. like i got kind of territorial like this like, is our come space on. stay out you got enough stuff you know like people oh, don't yeah. know who you are right it's you like know. will smith getting on youtube like exactly. you don't need it come on you know because the attention everybody else and then, it, then it just makes it that much harder for us you know yeah wannabes to get more noticed but so that i know that kind of sounds selfish and petty no i agree yeah it it can be i mean it's more difficult it's like why would they listen to my little podcast when somebody they know or already like the other thing i think is different now and i and i'm trying to and i'm going to shift is this i mean i I love the conversation but it's it's an easy way back then seven eight years ago Mm -hmm. you didn't see a lot of interviews now everybody is an interview podcast right i think what what the shift is and what I'm trying to pivot towards mm-hmm. is my own unique voice and what I have to say yeah. and just me. And Absolutely. I tell you when I, when I release a solo episode where it's just me yeah. and I'll keep it to 15, 20 minutes, I get more feedback really? than, than when I do the conversations. Yeah. Cause you just released one, I think right in the yeah. last week or so. Yeah. My intent is I'm going to do a, a conversation, which I, cause I love to do. It does a lot for me. Personally, it keeps the juices going yeah. for doing a pot. I love having conversations with people. Then do a solo. So on Monday, an interview, and then Friday, try to do a solo. Very cool. So uh, is it once a week then you're releasing? I'm going to try to do So I'm going to try to do two okay. episodes a week. Very That's cool. I'm trying, yeah. to, I'm, I'm trying to do two months, and it's, I'm yeah, struggling. It's, so. But it's it's difficult. You know, you got to build up a you got to build up a reservoir of interviews. Yeah. And I kind of let it slide because I had to train transition to the 787 yeah. I had to go to training, and so the podcast, I couldn't release a lot of episodes. Yeah. But That's something I struggle with is building that backlog because I get tough. so excited. I want to just release it. it. <laughs> right. So it's like I might record two in a week, but I'm going to release it pretty close to yeah, each other. because you want to get it out right. there. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, 30 to 45-minute episodes. Mm-hmm. Is that Has it always been 30 to 45, or is that kind of a sweet spot you found? Like maybe too long, people lose interest, or too short, it's not quite getting deep enough? Yeah, I've never, I've never received feedback saying, hey, your episodes are too long, and I tend to go longer than shorter, particularly yeah. if I'm grooving with somebody. And I don't want to, I never want to feel rushed. It's my right. show. I can do what I want. And, right. and I, I'll have hour-long episodes. I've had some podcasters say, hey, if you're going to have an hour long, you should, you should reduce it to 30. And I'm like, I guess, but people can hit pause and they can right, do this. Right, yeah, I think that's... I can see, um, you know, that's one thing that's still kind of weak. You can't really tell how many people are actually listening and how long they're listening. I know Apple or Apple Podcast has a, a thing where you can go and you can see what the average... Mm-hmm. 
I do find, and I do report because I have a sponsor on, here in town on, sure. on the equity bank side, and, and they want to know that, and I give it to them. I tend to find that most people are listening. Uh, once it gets past 35 minutes, you kind of lose them. Yeah. And so that's why I try to keep them around 30 minutes, particularly sure. one of the sponsored ones where I got a pre and a mid-roll because yeah. I want to get – as long as I get the listener past the mid-roll, <laughs> right. you know, that's my goal. You for, to show for my sponsor, yeah. I want to make sure that they at least heard their mid-roll. Yeah. Right. Um, so as far as sponsorship, um, how did that happen? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? I've had both. Were you talking about the equity bank yeah. side? Yeah, yeah equity sponsor, bank yeah. was, I got to I gotta tribute RSM Marketing, uh, who've been great supporters of this show from the beginning. Mike Snyder and, and Bruce Rowley with, with RSM. I met them through the entrepreneurship task force back in 2015 mm-hmm. where I was, I tried to interview Gary or I was going to interview Gary or Warney. I was, I had a, an idea. I said, Hey, I'm going to interview some local. I got a lot of local people who I should be interviewing. Right. And so that was around 2014, 2015, you know, a year and a half, two years into my show. And I met Gary or for breakfast and said, I'd love to have you on the show. And he said, Hey, here's a thought. Would you mind helping me launch this E2E, this entrepreneur, you know, the, yeah, the yeah. ED thing. He goes, what if he goes, what if we interviewed local entrepreneurs and I had RSM marketing videotape it. So we did that to help launch Very E2E. Cool. And we did about, tw- I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. We did about 25 videotaped interviews. And out of that, we created a mashup and it was great because it worked on my interviewing skills. I met a lot of great local entrepreneurs, Yeah, you know, and I helped them do that. And so that established a relationship with, with Mike Schneider and Bruce Rowley. Mm-hmm. And I just stayed in contact with them throughout various things. And Mike Schneider um, would always like, man, we could use Dose of Leadership. I, I got to I could tag along with you stuff and we could help some of our clients. And that was always his goal. Mm. And Equity Bank is one of their big clients. Perfect. Yeah, it worked out perfect. And he pressed it with him a few years ago and then it kind of didn't go anywhere and I kind of just forgot it. I just, yeah, it wasn't a big deal to me. And, and then about, uh, two years ago, he's like, dude, I got them. They, they want to do this equity bank deal, this podcast and, and you call it dose of leadership. And so we just piggybacked onto my brand and the audience that I built already. And we just had them sponsor the shows. And so it's cool. an, so they pick the guests. Well, it's it's a it's a team effort. Yeah. Like I, I'll sometimes I'll find guests. Like I just did one I released yesterday. Dayton Moore, the general yep. manager. I just listened to that one today. Of, yep. of the Kansas City Royals, that was the one I found because Dayton and I were at a conference, and then I said, "Hey, would you mind?" He said, "I'd love to." Yeah. But then I approached Equity and said, "Hey, you know, would you want to sponsor this one?" And they yeah. said yes. But for the most part, Equity finds. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Okay. And then I kind of agree. Yeah, I think it would be good. Perfect. And we try to keep it local or at least in the equity bank region. Right. And so we try to find entrepreneurs and leaders. And, cool. And it's, and I tell you, it's been a blast because that has re-energized me because in the beginning, a lot of them were in, in-person interviews, and I hadn't done that. Mm-hmm. And then now we're doing a little more remotes because we're finding people in Missouri and Arkansas right. and stuff like that. But it, it's been a blast, and they've been a huge supporter of the yeah. show. And then, and then they put those episodes on their website. Yeah. And so it's kind of a win-win for but it, Yeah, for th- sure. It's opening me up to a whole new audience and their customers. Right. And then hopefully people listening that are in Sprickling this region are finding them as, as a bank. Right? right. So you've done, besides maybe that series, the majority of your stuff are phone interviews then? Uh, yeah, or they're remote. Yeah, remote on, the interviews. Com- com- on, the, on the computer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd say, yeah, 90% of them, 95 okay. But the equity bank one, 
up until recently, they've been almost all face to face. Yeah. What are the differences to you besides obviously like being face to face and I don't know, just being in person and kind of having that conversation versus online. Now it's not so much different for me. Yeah. In the beginning, um, it was just me with my ADHD getting sidetracked, you know, yeah. like, Hey, that guy has a booger in his nose or whatever, yeah, right. you know, oh, yeah. you know, that's just yeah. kind of how I am. I'm like, Oh, squirrel, you know, and I'm yeah. going to go somewhere oh, else. I understand. Yeah. But, uh, nothing now, not much different, yeah. you know, and it's just, I kind of like it personally. I do too. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's easier to schedule cause you don't have to find a place. Cause yeah. like I don't have a studio. So it's like making scheduling the room at the library or whatever, trying to make sure that it works for them, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It, I like it too, because it's, it's a great way to connect, and it helps me. It, it, you know, I use it as a, as a learning thing. It's like, how do I improve my, you know, communication skills? Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, one of the things you mentioned in the Jocko episode, I wanted to make sure I bring this up, or I guess in the intro to the Jocko episode, was that you didn't get as deep necessarily as yeah. you wanted to. Can you go into that a little bit? And yeah. Your thoughts I mean, on that? And I, and I don't, I'm still up in the air. It's like, maybe I shouldn't even said that. I think that was my kind of, I was really disappointed after that yeah. conversation. I tried so long to get him on the show and he's a big get yeah. for a lot of reasons. So selfishly from a marketing standpoint, I wanted him. Oh yeah. Personally, I wanted him because I love his stuff. Right. I think he's great. He says a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about yeah. for years, yeah, it's very but similar. he's the real deal. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's been in those, you know, like the Ramadi and everything. Yeah. Know. My Marine Corps career was, you know, I flew around the world, chased per diem, and, and drank a lot of beer. You know, and he's, he's, he's kicking down doors and taking right. names for real. Uh, but still, I believe the concepts that he believes. Right. He, you know, and he, he would just validate everything. That's why I wanted to talk to him. But I was wanted him so bad to come on. He was always busy. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do it. Timing wasn't right. And finally, they reached out to me. And I'm like, finally, he's coming on. And you ever heard the old adage, you know, never meet your heroes type yeah. of thing? Yeah, yeah. And it was, I think the disappointment was, I think there was a part of me that was like, I so much wanted to be, have a connection and be friends with Jocko. Oh, Willick. yeah. Oh, like, yeah. I understand. And he just wouldn't have any of it. Yeah. It was like he was in mode of, I've got six of these to do today. Right. I'm going to say my points and go for it. Right. And I, and I, I got into it with, went into it with a whole degree of confidence and as the interview progressed, I was losing comp. I was I wasn't connecting with them. Yeah. You can't tell because I I no, I, it was a great interview. I edited out a lot of the awkward pauses. Yeah. If you would have heard it in its full entirety, you would have said, "This is weird." Yeah. And maybe it was just me being overly hard on myself. Yeah. And this is not a bash against Jocko. Jocko's great, and I think more of it was the realization that he and I are never going to be friends. Right. <laughs> friends. Oh, I've been you there in a couple of too. Yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's difficult. And I think, I mean, one, maybe you guys maybe would have had more rapport in person, but the chances of getting Jocko in an in-person interview is probably zero. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, you have to take what you can get, but I can, yeah, I understand. Yeah. That feeling. It was, but it was great. But, but, and you're right. And I, and I called a couple good friends, um, Jake Ramstack, a local guy. Yeah. He, oh yeah. He, he was he was always you gotta get Jocko on. You gotta get Jocko on. And I finally <laughs> told him I got Jocko. And then after it was over, he's the first person I called. I'm like, dude, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I hate myself. I can't believe you know. And yeah. I just unleashed, and he thought it was funny. But then some of these guys that I kind of cried to and vented to after it was over, they're like, they listened to it. And they're like, dude, it was. I, I loved it. Was it. Yeah, I'll probably yeah. re-listen to it. So. Yeah. 
It was a great, great the magic of editing. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Um, so speaking of editing, just while we're on it, um, what program do you use? Kind of, do yeah. you spend a lot of time on that? What Audacity, that like? it's all free. That's what, that's I just do I everything with Audacity. Yep. Uh, I don't have, I have, I have Adobe Edition, but uh, Audition, but I don't, um, I don't use it. It's, I find it too co- complex for what I okay. try to do. Yeah, because I, I mean, I keep it super Me too. stupid simple. So, and I don't, and a lot of people say they think there's a lot of editing. I don't do a lot of editing on my, yeah. Um, I would probably say the vast majority of my episodes are 100%. What you hear is 100%. Yeah. I'll, I'll take out some ums and some pauses yeah. or technical things that, you know, that don't, yeah. you know, and I'll tighten it up. Sure. But I've rarely taken anything out of an interview. Right. Rarely. The only time I've taken stuff out is when somebody asked me to. Yeah, me too. So, and I, I make that clear. I'm like, okay, everybody, like, I would rather you talk more and I can cut stuff out after the fact, then you not talk enough. Yeah, so yeah. I try to make that clear up front. And then, I mean, they maybe said a bad joke or something. And yeah. they're just like, can you take that out? And I had one guy said he, he admired Hitler. I didn't play that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not that one. <laughs> yeah. um, do you have any advice for anyone wanting to start a podcast? Just kind of put a bow on the podcast stuff. Yeah, I tell you, it's not a get, you know, some people think, a podcasting is a get rich quick scheme or it's, you know, it's another thing, kind of like the same thing. Like it's the new blog, you know, right. like if I start a blog or people are going to, you still got to work, right. you got to put the time in, you got to do the prep. But I tell you, there's no better time. I think in the history of the planet, if you've got something to say and and you've got an audience that you want to build or, or you want to get noticed out there or build a network, like you said, that is, I mean, that, that is probably, I think the biggest advantage of a podcast is that it connects you with the world yeah. right and your your audience your tribe faster than anything else faster than a blog faster than a facebook ad faster than an adsense on google faster than anything i i'm a firm believer in that and i've seen it in my own personal life um not to say that you won't do all those things right as you're building your your brand or whatever but start if you got an inkling for it you got an, an itching for it don't do it because you're going to make you think you're going to make money right away because you're not yeah. Right. You still got to do the work and you still got to build an audience. And you and but if you go at it with authenticity and you go at it with transparency and vulnerability, man, people want to hear that. Right. And you, and you don't try to be some don't try to be something that you think you should be. Right. Be 100 percent you. Yeah. And don't be anything else but you and share as much vulnerability and authenticity that you want. And you're going to build an There's There's going to be an audience out there for you. And. Look, I launched mine in in four weeks, from conception to launch, four weeks, and I didn't know how to build a website. I mean, I did. I knew how to build a website because I'd done that, but I didn't know anything about. I didn't know right. anything about podcasting, so don't tell me it can't be done. Yeah, and you can do it on a shoestring budget. You, I spent eleven hundred bucks seven years ago. I think you could launch a decent sounding podcast five hundred bucks or less easily, easily, yeah. and that's probably even the high end yeah. if you really wanted to. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, my first five or 10 episodes, I used my iPhone, set it on the mm-hmm. table and they don't sound great, but it's something. And yeah. then, um, one of the mics here is an ATR 2100 microphone. It's about 70 bucks. And I've done besides my first podcast, which was one of my bigger guests that I had on the phone interviews, which I just use iPhone headphones, which did not, I do yeah. not recommend using no. that, <laughs> but, um, it sounds great for a USB mic and into the computer. So it's like, you could get a hold of anybody on Skype or whatever mm-hmm. and record it. And so, yeah. yeah. You don't have to spend a lot of money at all. Nope. And then, and, and I wouldn't even be intimidated about, you know, you have a, a website 
and a domain name for for kind of a home yeah. for it, but a Libsyn account or whatever account where you want to host it. I mean, that's twenty bucks a month. Yeah. I mean, do it and yeah. launch it. And sometimes, like the advice I got from these guys, sometimes good enough is good enough. Yep. And get out there and don't be intimidated by the fact that it's so crowded either. Right. So what if there's eight hundred thousand? Exactly. Find out what your what your tribe find is. Find your niche and, and find your niche and go for it. Um, just to mix it up a little bit, I got a few questions and then a couple of questions about Wichita. Mm-hmm. So um, is there anything that you often recommend to people, whether it's a podcast or a book or anything like that? But the, the only th- book that I'm probably fervently religious about of, of getting pe- particular people start to work with me mm-hmm. or if they, they want advice from me um, is a book by Stephen Pressfield called The War of Art. Yep. Don't confuse it with Sun Tzu's the art of war, right? Right. <laughs> but Stephen Pressfield, the war of art. To me, it's a, you can read it in one night, yep. one sitting, and I think it gets into the, so many aspects of the mindset of what it means to be an entrepreneur, what it means to do something, uh, follow a dream or a passion of something that you're passionate about. That book has been done more for me personally, and has done more for my clients than any other book that I've ever ever come across. All right. I recommend that to anybody. Because it talks about all the limiting beliefs, the dragon, the resistance, which is real. That's going to try to prevent you. If you get a calling, I like how Stephen Pressfield puts it in his book, is if the universe, the angels, the muse, whatever you want to believe, put something on your heart, and we all have it. There's a gnawing, and and we talk ourselves out of it. Who am I? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's too much work. That's a silly, you know. But if it's there, it's there for a reason. And if it's a big leap, like where you're at now and you want to be here and it's you know mm-hmm. it seems impossible the bigger the resistance is going to be to try to it will try to stop right. you it will try to kill you as he puts in the book you know yeah. and it doesn't care it wants to see you fail but if you press forward you continue to go on and you sit down and you try to in his case the example write that novel that's in your heart mm-hmm. regardless of all the voices the people closest to you telling you're an idiot you know oh, yeah and the universe has to move when it sees you do that. And I, that's the philosophy I kind of live, I've lived by ever yeah. since I've launched this podcast. And that, I love that. that yeah. That's about that's time for a reread. Yeah. I need to <laughs> take that one out again. Um, do you have a favorite failure in any aspect of your life? Well, it's not a favorite, but the failure I kind of alluded to it earlier is like, you know, I, re- I really, uh, it's a huge regret in my life. And again, it was all ego driven. I didn't realize it at the time and looking back, but you know, I made a lot of, of piss poor choices that were selfish and, and almost led to the dissolution of, of our marriage. And yeah. it's a scar that's going to be there forever. We're still married. Thank God. Yeah. And she's a saint for, for giving me, uh, another chance. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, but I talk about it openly. The people that know me on my show, I've mentioned it on the show yeah. and it, I didn't have to, to get to that point. Right. So, but it, it happened. It did. And going forward, um, it is the ultimate failure that I've had in, in my life, mm-hmm. but I, I take all those lessons of, and authentically, particularly when I'm coaching men and share with them, look, I know how you get to this point. And, and, this, and it's all around the myth of we define ourselves based on the things we accomplish and what other people think about us. Right. And I was trapped in that rat race cycle more than anything. I lost, I was so identified on being a pilot and I identified myself as a pilot, which Mm -hmm. is a mistake instead of identifying myself as a leader, as a husband and a father. And when it was stripped away from me, it left a gaping hole in my heart and in my soul Mm -hmm. stupidly because it was just my ego talking. Right. Sure. 
and it didn't have to leave that. There's really no gaping hole. Yeah. It's just my ego saying there was, and that's what led to the, to the, the, the dissolution and the chasing of things to try to fill that hole. And it was just a mistake, right. yeah. a, a huge tragic mistake. And, and so I've taken all that and incorporated it into being a leader in every aspect of your life, not only in business, but as an individual as well. Yeah. And that's all in my material, the show, the coaching and everything that I do. Yeah. That's important. I mean, you learn from it and then help people. I mean, young men like me yeah. kind of learn from that and move forward too. Yeah. Um, what is your definition of success? I don't know. I don't like to look at it that way because I think success is so subjective, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when I ask people that, I said, what does it mean to be successful? What do they always say? They always say, mm-hmm. oh, I want to have this position. I want to have this title. I want to have this income level. I want to have time freedom. I want to have economic freedom. All great things. To I'm, I'm not knocking anybody for pursuing all those. I want all those things. Right. Instead, I, so I stop asking myself, what does it mean to be successful? And instead, I ask myself, what does it mean to lead a significant life? And when I ask people the difference, people start to say the same thing. Yeah. I want to be respected by my spouse and my kids. I want to yeah. leave a legacy behind. I want to leave whatever. Right? Yeah. And it's usually internally family-focused or something-focused right. or making the campsite better than you found it yep. as opposed to I want a house in the Hamptons yeah. and the, the Lamborghini and all that, right? Yeah. So, Success is whatever you define it to be, and I and and for me, it's to lead a significant life where I made the campsite better than I found it, and that's that's what drives me now. That's awesome. I love that quote. Um, do you have a life motto that you live by, or what's some of the best advice that you've received? I think uh, you know, it, the living. I, I've really gravitated toward. I learned it in Scouts, and I even think I'm probably going to name my book this, but it's like to make the campsite better than you found it. That I think that is the obligation. Like, why are we even here? And I think the obligation is you have to leave this place better than you found it, both in relationships, yeah. your own internal state, the environment you live in and work in and breathe and play in. You make it better than you found it. And I think that's, that's the philosophy I'm going for. Cool. Um, for the book, is there a timeline on that? Well, I know that's kind of hard to put a time on and something like that, but I, I want to have it out by this fall. Okay. And Very so cool. now that I've said it, I said it to the universe, it out. it's out there and recording. Now I'm going to be held accountable to it, which is fine with me. Right? It's, it's the new January 22nd. That's so. right. That's right. <laughs> um, what's a habit that you've developed over the past few years um, that's most improved your oh, life? Great question. I think, you know, I struggle with this just like anybody else because I want to I want to be the guy that gets up at 5 a.m. and journals and exercises mm-hmm. and then prays and then yeah <laughs> whatever you know and yeah. writes the f- a chapter of my book and before <laughs> all before 5:30 right in the morning and I fail at that miserably and then so but it's just like anything else I compound it and I think what I've started and I still do and it's led and it's built on other things, but I started just starting a day with, with a, a level of gratitude, mm. a gratitude prayer to the universe. And literally my feet hit the floor and every morning I say, hey, I'm so thankful that my feet are hitting the floor yeah. and I got another day that I can go do it. And then I start looking around and I'm thankful for the house. I'm thankful Small for things. this. Yeah. I'm thankful for this warmth on this cold day. I'm thankful, hey, my wife is sitting there in bed. She's sound asleep, we're still married. You know, like yeah. you just build upon that, right? It changes my outlook. Sure. Otherwise, I'm just a stressful mess going from yeah. next task to next task. Right? I think that's been a common thread I've heard, um, one, on this interview, but also just successful people in general. Yeah. I think a lot of people start their day with some sort of gratitude. So yeah. that's powerful. 
Um, so just a few more questions about Wichita. What's your favorite part of Wichita? Or are there any hidden gems in Wichita that you like? Yes, a great question. I mean, I've always I vowed I would never live back here again when I was in the Marine Corps. We lived in so many <laughs> cool places. I lived yeah. in Southern California and Orange County, and I'm like, oh, this is heaven. And, yeah. You know, and we came back here. We were only going to be here for a year, then go to Dallas yep. and oh, yeah. American. And then we stayed here because I got furloughed. But I tell you, as I get older, and you I mean, this Wichita's got a lot to offer. And I mean, I love downtown. I always have. Even in the 80s back here, I loved coming down here, and it wasn't all that great compared to what it was, yeah. you know, in the 85, 86, 87. And the way it's changing and the way it looks and the energy and the vibe, I love it down here, you know, in the new stadium. And yeah. I'm looking out the window right now and looking and – I thought that this apartment complex right across, you know, was on the West Bank. I said, why are they doing it now that it's there? I think it's great. It's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. I think it adds to the, the skyline instead of this kind of, you know, this brutal yeah. architecture from yeah, the yeah. 80s. You know, yeah. I like it. And the, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I think I think downtown is just a, it's it's going to I missed I hear back from my mom. She grew up in the 40s and she talked about how everybody was shopping down here. And, you know, yeah. and that was the only place to go. Sure. And, I wish. I hope we can get back to that. You know, if we can get a grocery store down here, yeah, I think, I think it would be awesome. Yeah, you know? I think we're heading in the right direction. And people start living down here and getting their groceries down here. Right. And we get then we get a major shop. You know, more shopping down. I think it's cool. Yeah. I, just, I like downtown. It's growing. We're getting there. Um, is there anything you wish? I guess you kind of touched on right there. Anything you wish which I had that it doesn't? I think a grocery store down there. I think you know. The shopping when I go, you know, but again, the malls, I'm not, I don't want another mall. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. I just want more community-focused-based shopping. You know yeah. what I mean? I want people oh, yeah. walking around downtown. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be good for Wichita in general just to, I mean, get out and walk more. Yeah. I think a lot of people are upset when there's not going to be a lot of parking around the new stadium, but there's parking right across the river. I'm like, it's right yeah. there. I understand why people are upset, but like, okay, I'm sure there's going to be handicapped parking and s- stuff to accommodate. But well, a lot of people just need to learn about to this stuff. They never lived in a big city like Los Angeles, and you, you know, exactly. okay, yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about parking charge? <laughs> right. You know, let's, there there are solutions to not have it. We think we got to park, you know, five feet away from or right. twenty feet. We've away got from the scooters now. That's so. right, scooters. <laughs> yeah. um, so last question: What does Wichita mean to you? Well, it's home, you know. I mean, it's I, I grew up here, and I think it has a lot to offer. And and I was even guilty of it in my twenties and thirties. I knocked it, you know. And yeah. Like, and I, and I lived other places. And that's Marine Corps, and I, I I I did. I knocked Wichita, and I'm like, I don't want to ever move back here again. And as you got kids, and you do this or that, and the cost of living, and you see, mm-hmm. you know, in the space, and like you, you know, the house that I lived in in, in Orange County, you know, I mean, <laughs> literally was like. I could hop from the next rooftop to the other rooftop. You right. Know I mean? Oh, yeah. And no yard and just the space out here and the cost of living. Yeah. I mean, this is a, it's a, my kids even now like, oh, there's nothing to do here. I'm like, there's nothing to do anywhere. You know, if you lived in Orlando, you wouldn't be going to Disney World right. every day. It is what you make it wherever you go. Yeah. All right, so everybody can find you at Dose of Leadership Podcast wherever. Yeah, doseofleadership.com is, is the best place to okay. find me. I yep. do got another website at richardryerson.com, but I'm trying to migrate off of that and just do everything, doseofleadership.com. Sure. And I'm here for you know, keynote speaking, coaching. My biggest thing I look at being the arrow in the quiver of an organization, the guy behind the scenes that helps integrate a leadership culture into the organization. I just got off a 12-month uh, gig with a guy in North Carolina and I did it that and you know I, I coached yeah. him I coached his high performers I worked with the middle and below uh, 
establishing that concept of decentralized right. uh, control throughout his organization. That's what I love to do. That's what I'm good at. And yeah. it's like I'm a business therapist. I help relate. You know, I help <laughs> people talk authentically with each, with each other. Right. I don't deal with you know, assumptions or secrets. I get all out in the open. I'm really good at getting people to sure to be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable. And I think that's that's what's needed. Awesome. Well, I hope this podcast can help connect you with somebody for that. And well, I appreciate you bringing me on. And I, it's 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 good. And I probably vomited a lot and talked a lot because I never get to do this. I'm always <laughs> on the other end. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. To, to talk about me a little bit. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Thanks, thank Richard. You, thank you for listening to this episode of the Witch Life Podcast. If you enjoyed, please share it with a friend and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you use. I'm putting all of the podcasts on YouTube now as well, and we'll start doing video podcasts for some episodes in the future. So go to Wichita Life Podcast on YouTube and subscribe today. If you want to support the podcast, head over to our Patreon page. Thanks for the listening.